Hello, Life on Earth podcast community. I am excited to share with you my guest for today's show. I know that you will love this conversation. But first, this episode is brought to you by Shanti Yoga Shala, my beloved yoga studio. Our website is shantiyoganola.com. Definitely check it out. As well as by Shanti Yoga Training School. Our website is shantiyogatrainingschool.com. This is a yoga teacher training school as well as yoga deepening your practice. So if you are curious about deepening the studies of yoga, learning more meditation and philosophy, lifestyle, yoga on and off the mat, yoga body, mind, spirit, tools, community, I invite you to check out our website, shantiyogatrainingschool.com and see for yourself. This is a true labor of love. It's where I spend most of my energy and my time today with the training schools and the trainings. So it's where I create, write for, and meet awesome people in the trainings. The trainings are truly fantastic. They are transformational and I recommend that you try a yoga teacher training. It's something that you have to do once in your life at least. Or if you're like some of us, maybe you'll do many trainings, which is also amazing. Sometimes I hesitate calling them trainings because yes, for sure you can in many trainings that are being offered nowadays get certified. But it can also be something that you do for yourself just to really enhance your life, enhance the relationship that you have with your own self and others. So it's just something awesome to go through. I couldn't say more. I mean, obviously, if I didn't love it so much, I wouldn't be doing it. This conversation does have to do with today's guest. She is an amazing yoga teacher. She was my first yoga teacher. It was with her that I took my first trip to India. And please welcome to the show, Melanie Fowler. Melanie is an Ashtanga yoga teacher. She's certified by Patabi Joyce. She's the owner and founder of the Ashtanga Yoga Room. She is also has many other talents, including she's an avid animal lover, She's the mother of Gabe and a true teacher to many people who come across her. Melanie and I go way back. I apprenticed with Melanie when I first began teaching yoga. She invited me to join her in her yoga school where I learned how to teach Ashtanga Yoga Mysore style with Melanie. I learned to apprentice with her in her classes. I had an amazing opportunity and through that experience I feel like really grew so much and it has definitely been a relationship which has shaped my life on so many levels. There are many jewels in this conversation today so please join us and enjoy and if you like the show and you enjoy this episode or others Share with your friends, send it to somebody who might benefit or might love. If it's an inspiration to you, it might be an inspiration to many others. And subscribe to the show, leave us an amazing review, 
We so appreciate you. I so appreciate you. Appreciate the energy that you put into tuning into the show and also for being with me on this journey. I know sometimes I don't release as many episodes consistently and regularly as um, the listeners, some of you listeners have requested, but there's so many things in life and I'm always about all about being organic and trying to, when I do, to really be completely committed and present with you. So I honor you for for being here on this channel and you know energy travels so frequencies and now know that you are a part of me as well as i'm a part of you so enjoy the show meet melanie and join us welcome to life on earth the peace project A podcast that teaches you how to connect with the divine and transform darkness into light through topics from yoga to nature and ultimately love. Join your host, Natalie Kwa, to celebrate and encourage diversity, peace and global equality, one earthling at a time. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Life on Earth podcast. I'm here today with someone who I completely adore and loved, my dear friend and teacher, Melanie Fowler. And I'd love for you guys to get to know her. And we're going to get into a very interesting conversation for sure. Hi, Melanie. Hi, Natalie. Thank you for being on Life on Earth, sharing your energy with the podcast and our community and the planet. Thanks for inviting me. I'm thrilled with what you're doing, and I'm super proud of you too. You're doing a lot of good work. Thank you, Mel. And you, I'm very, um, I'm very thankful that you are, you know, sharing your energy with the podcast, and and also with what I was going to say is with all the stuff that you do in the world. Thank you, because you do a lot for for everyone, and I want to acknowledge that. Thank you, I'm myself gonna, included. I'm going to try to receive that. <laughs> Thank you. Myself included. So anyways, it's been a long journey that we've known each other. And so that's kind of part of the excitement of getting into this conversation that could probably last 20 hours if we wanted to. There's so many angles to it. But for, you know, some of our listeners that don't know you very well, I think it would be very nice if you could share your background. And maybe let's start with, I'm sure you've gotten this question a thousand times, but why yoga? <laughs> How did you start? Yes, it's it's an old story for me, and I think I tell it a little differently every time, and it's how you and I met, because yeah. I we met through me coming to the North Shore where you used to live in Louisiana and teaching a workshops. yoga workshop in specifically Ashtanga yoga, mm-hmm. right? Yes. And I guess that's what I'm mostly doing on here because I'm a pretty avid uh fan of Ashtanga yoga. And so why yoga? Well, let me interrupt you for a sec. So Melanie, you are an Ashtanga yoga teacher and you are certified by Patabi Joyce. And so, yes, and you have an Ashtanga yoga studio. Maybe we can revisit the idea of that too, because I feel like a lot of people misunderstand Ashtanga with the traditional method of learning it, which is Mysore style. Mm-hmm. So at uh, least yes. for me, when I say Ashtanga, I'm very much referring to that traditional method of Absolutely. learning it. Absolutely. And I think, yes, let's get back into that after. So yes, so how did you begin your yoga journey? Why yoga? What made you do it? I have a hard time telling that story without kind of taking it back into my high school years 
which got me involved and interested in Eastern philosophy because it was, it was from the vantage point of having a lot of trauma in my family history with parents getting divorced and a lot of kind of lies and not full truths coming out and being the, and that being part of my my what became my story that eastern philosophy started to help me to make sense of what was going on in my head and in my life and that came through a wonderful woman that i got to know in high school whose name was Mary Beth or is Mary Beth Alice she's still very much with us and she was a french teacher but she was also a buddhist and she also taught a wonderful philosophy class to seniors. But even before I was a senior and I took that philosophy class, however we made our connection, she would recommend books to me. Not just, I mean, there were some books in the French class, like The Little Prince and and others that to me had a sort of Eastern undertone. But there are other books, just normal books she would recommend to me. I remember one was Lost Horizons. Another one was The Snow Leopard by Peter Matheson. All these books which had very much Eastern impact and and messages. And so somehow that kind of noodled for me around meaning in my life. And then in that philosophy class, she brought in someone to give us a taste of yoga, a taste of Tai Chi, a taste of meditation. But I wouldn't say I connected to yoga in particular then and then the depression for me worsened as I started college. And then it was in my later years of college that I found a little yoga book and I started to read it and use it at my own house and our apartment. I was living in Manhattan at that time. And that's actually when it started to kind of yoke for me and I was doing it. And I think it was self-medicating if I were to look back for the symptoms of depression, it just started to feel good, you know, and better. And I was feeling a little more clear headed and less, you know, depressed. And so that's when I then started looking for a class to take in Manhattan and and it grew from there in terms of yoga specifically. And, and yoga very much became my lifeline. At and that soon point. after you went to India, right? So I probably started with that book in around Hmm, 1991, and then that led me to a, co- a class out of someone's loft, and then the desire for India was there since I was about 14 or 15, since high school, I wanted wow. to go. And then when I got more and more into yoga, that became another reason I wanted to go to, yoga, to, to India. And then after college, I was pretty directionless with that expensive diploma that I had, and I decided to move home so I could save money and actually finally go to India. And so how did you go from that into meeting who will then become your lifelong teacher, Patabi Joyce? I think some of it was good fortune, and then some of it was maybe fate. I don't know. You just went to Mysore? No, I, um, I was back in New Orleans, and there was a lovely man here who I knew who had gone to India and studied yoga. Stan Melensaw. So if you're out there, hi, Stan. I haven't seen you in years. But he gave me a letter of introduction to who he had studied with, which was somewhere in the north. My guess is it was maybe Rishikesh, but I can't remember anymore, but it was quite north India. And then I went back to Manhattan to visit before I ever went to India. And so I went from the class at this loft to finding 
Jiva Mukti Yoga studio, which back then was on Second Avenue, and it wasn't quite what we know now as of Jiva Mukti, but it was very much still there, and it was wonderful because you could take classes anytime a day there. And what I now know, I didn't know then, but Ishtanga very, was very much a part of those classes and the style that Jiva Mukti became known for is a lot of influence from, from there. So I asked David Life, um, who was one of the owners, who he studied with in India. And he's then said, do you know what Ashtanga is? And I said, no. And he said, well, we're going to have a class tomorrow morning. Why don't you come? And I said, okay. But I didn't go to it because it was really early in the morning and I didn't do that then. But he had told me like, this is what you do if you want to go and study with this man, you know, Patabi Joyce. I don't even remember if he said the name or not. I just remember Ashtanga and he told me about writing a letter and not expecting to receive an answer and that that's how it was done. So then once I was in India, I kind of just went with like, well, I, I might just find something on my own, or I might go north with Stan's recommendation, or I might go south with David's recommendation. And as fate would have it, I had been traveling in the north with a friend from um, that lived in New Orleans at the time. And when he went back to New Orleans to go back to work, it was understood that I would stay for at least another month, and that's when I would seek out some yoga, which is what I did. And since that person and I traveled in the north, I thought, I'll go south because I'd like to see southern India. And that's how, that's how I ended up choosing to go to Patabi Joyce. And so that first experience obviously had an impact on you? Oh, it was a huge impact. I mean, India had loomed so large for me for so long. Like, it was like a calling. Like, it was... You know, it wasn't like, oh, I kind of want to go to India, like you want to go to the beach. It was like it was a big thing for me to make that happen. And kind of knowing internally before I went that I wasn't quite ready. Because it was a scary idea to travel to India, which is why I was kind of glad when I found someone who would travel with me on that first trip. So then when I went, you know, by that time I was back in New Orleans living. And as I found a teacher here who I adored, Alvina, who's passed on. But whether it was in New York or it was in America, I mean, in New Orleans, excuse me, I just had this sense that there was a little bit more to yoga than I was experiencing. And for me, the experience was very much about doing because I was so caught up in my mind stuff, I guess, through the depression that I couldn't still the mind at all. And so on some level, I just knew it was the doing. So I didn't like all the talking and kind of the fluff that was maybe around some of the classes I was experiencing in America. And when I went to India and Joyce told me to just sit and observe for a little while, the room was so quiet. There was just breathing. What I later, of course, learned was Ujjayi breathing with the bandhas. But it was just this amazing, graceful movement with the breathing. Everyone was extremely focused and it was just quiet and there was just like this stillness. And in that moment, I was, I was just hooked you know, and then to then stay there for, you know, I think I stayed about five weeks on that first trip and to meet these other people that were immersed in doing this too was very validating and reinforcing because, you know, home in New Orleans where I grew up, I didn't have that. I didn't have people around me who did yoga or seemed interested in yoga. I guess I really didn't talk about Eastern philosophy with anybody. Um, maybe I sensed that it wasn't a good idea, you know, if you went out in high school in New Orleans, at least where I went, like places like The Boot that I had no legal business going to, but it's what we all did. And someone actually asked me, you know, how are you? What's been going on? I used to 
try to actually tell them. And I can remember being kind of like stifled, like that was the wrong answer. Like they didn't really want to know. And I don't know. So I think I just didn't talk about some of that stuff that interested me. So it was really enlightening, if you will, to be surrounded by other people that were doing that and to see that I I could do that, you know, as an option. How many times have you been to India? Uh, It was 10 times. Wow, that's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. And I mean, each time you stayed for X months, right? Like The longest I stayed was like six months or just under. Right. I mean, minimum minimum two months, right? Yeah, um, yeah, I usually always three stayed months. at least three months, yeah. except for so, that first trip. I yeah. mean, I guess when I'm when I'm uh, just for everyone that's listening to really kind of understand that's a, that's not just you know a little trip of like twenty days in India for a training and coming back. Le- I also would like to share with people that you know wait this is this is like a long time ago. I mean, how long ago is this for your first trip? I was twenty five and I'm forty nine. <laughs> okay, so at least. 20-something years. Mm-hmm. And at that time... It was 1994. So that's that time yoga is still very different than what it is now. And uh, we didn't even have teacher trainings back then. No, thank goodness we sure <laughs> didn't. Um, it's just, yeah. it's interesting, right, how it has evolved. So this is not just a quick trip. This is our many trips and really experiencing India and practicing with this teacher, this man who's your teacher and, you know, being a part of the culture and the yoga culture is really immersing yourself in what yoga really is, which is, you know, I think it's just so well-rounded and so many, so many aspects and different things to it. So it's impressive. It's really cool that you've had so much experience with uh, this ancient practice that we all love. It's been a very interesting journey. And to see the yoga evolve and grow so much, how, how, how has that been for you? I'm just curious. It's, it's interesting. I think I'm still answering that question for myself. Mm-hmm. I think it'll probably keep evolving. Um, I feel like I was really fortunate to fall into doing yoga when I did before it was really mainstream and to have fallen in with Joyce because no one, people really didn't know about Ashtanga then and and he was still very much engaged in teaching and young enough to teach and only teaching to basically about 12 students at a time. And I was really like kind of naive and, and green. Like I didn't know there were styles. I arrived not knowing anything. So I got to learn everything from him without it being watered down or anything by someone besides him. And so I really got it directly from him, which, you know, in the in the lineage of, of yoga and the way it's typically taught, which is, you know, apprenticeship, you know, in my mind, the more time the disciple or the student can spend with the teacher, ideally the better and the more knowledge you're going to gain from that teacher because there's a transmittance, if you will, which... A transmission. Of knowledge, of energy, of mm-hmm. different different qualities. Isn't there even a name in that? Parampara? Uh, parampara, from my understanding, refers to the lineage of from, from the teacher to the student. Yes, so there's that. And then uh, tapas is another word that is a Sanskrit word that can refer to kind of a transmission of, of, of energy as well. Yeah. Can have, it can have many different meanings. But that that's makes one so of them. much sense to me. Yeah. So I felt really fortunate for so many things. And then at the same time, I was 25 and I had a lot of my own belief systems that I hadn't investigated, a lot of, you know, kind of smaller background traumas from my kind of family of origin. So a lot of that that I brought to it too. And so I can also look back and see how 
I also imbued this community with qualities it maybe didn't necessarily have, which has kind of been a lesson for me in many facets of my life. And so, and that, but that's just part of life, you know, growing and learning and, and asking questions and hopefully gaining wisdom and changing course and changing direction and stuff like that. So I look back and I see how fortunate it, well, I was. And then I can also see in certain ways where I was handicapped in a little way, but we can't force the process to go any faster mm-hmm. than it can go. Does that? Yeah, that makes sense. Like yeah. people have to go through their whatever they need to go through to grow and to learn. Yeah, and hopefully they aren't scared to ask the hard questions or do the hard work. Or look. Yeah, or look, investigate, you know. Yeah, and that's one thing that I've always loved about you and admire even when I first met you and I was in my young 20s, that you've always been um, someone that, you know, removed the veil and where at least there was a curiosity and or let's let's look beneath this veil and let's open this curtain and let's kind of dig in and see where this is coming from and you do that to your students and you did that to me and you and you do that to me while even now when every time i see you and i love that i know and it's like it's awesome and you do that to yourself i think and that's a really beautiful quality i think i think because as i i think about this a lot lately, I think, because a lot of lies and secrecy, secrecy, excuse me, were part of my upbringing in order for myself to get healthy, because a lot of depression, I think, ensued out of those kind of, of ways of being raised. To get healthy, it, it really meant having to, to take down those veils of secrecy and, and uncover the lies. And so I don't think to not do that was an option for me. Like, it just... It was kind of a life or death thing, and so I think it's followed me that that theme throughout my life. And ironically, this is a big theme in yoga as well, satya, which is truth. Yeah, and the whole idea of removing the veil of ignorance is very much in the philosophy, right? It's in the yoga sutras, yeah. and I, I adore that that treatise. But I think the other thing I'm finding through all these years of, of doing ashtanga and being a part of a larger yoga community is that I think there's a lot of avoidance, though, also within the yoga community to not do the actual kind of nitty-gritty internal work, you know, so kind of taking the issues out of the tissues, so to speak, and, you know, basically means going back into the feelings and into the the excavating of, of our own traumas so that we can go to the next level. Sometimes the the theory of yoga can make it sound like we just go from doing yoga to some higher state of mm-hmm. disassociation mm-hmm. almost with our bodies and being here so that we can perhaps, you know, become one with the divine or whatever your word is for that or words. And so I think it can be a little misleading and it kind of avoids doing what really helps us get from the ground to the earth, to the sky, so to speak. Yeah. So, um, I guess I'm just saying all that this makes sense. to say like that's that's what it takes in my opinion for some real change and transformation. And so I just encourage anybody who's doing yoga to be willing to go there and to understand that it's more than just having a class that makes you feel feel better because it releases, you know, chemicals in the body or in the brain. There's there's more to it than that if you really want to go to in, the next level. To go to the next level, you got to so, look at your belief systems and and so, yeah. I want to actually go back to that in, in further into our conversation, but I'm going to jump into a question of 
So Ashtanga yoga, the way that you teach it and the way that your teacher, Patabi Joyce, also my teacher as well, taught was it's Mysore style. Mm -hmm. And so Mysore style in your studio, the yoga room, you have this, you know, in the mornings, it's something different than a lead class. Could you maybe explain, because I know some people don't know what Mysore style is. And even if you do know, it would be really interesting to, to find out from you, what mm -hmm. does Mysore style mean to you? And why is this so special to you? So, <laughs> yeah, I know that's like, like a huge question, but no, I'm just sort of gathering my thoughts. You can give I mean, like you can give like the real simple. I guess that's what I'm looking for. Like a the real simple explanation, and b how this can be something like so, you know, that really can take you like deeper. Sure. Well, I think the main thing is that I think a lot of the yoga in the studios are taught as classes which is, 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 is wonderful, but they're classes, whereas Mysore-style Ashtanga is basically offering you a discipline. And in the, at the Ashtanga Yoga Room? Yeah, so at the Ashtanga Yoga Room, we pretty much only offer Mysore-style. We have one, what we call lead class a week, and that's to help reinforce some of the principles that are in Mysore-style. But in Mysore-style, you're literally be, being taught individually. So it's a little antithetical to how the West teaches pretty much everything because you're in a group setting, but yet you're getting taught individually. And so people are like, well, how can that work? I don't understand. So, you know, I recommend you do it, what Joyce did to me, which is to sit down and watch for a little while before you start. And I'm not even saying a whole class. You could just watch for 10 minutes to see how it works. But basically, most of the students are ongoing and they've been coming for a long time, so they know the sequence that they're doing. Because one of the things you're learning in Mysore style on a gradual level is a sequencing. And so the role for the ongoing student of the teacher for them is very different than it is for a complete new student. For a complete new student, the teacher comes up to you and very individually teaches you the beginning of the sequencing. And so not only that is that the order of the poses, but also synchronizing your breath, an inhale breath or an exhale breath, with the specific movement you're being taught. And then in conjunction with that, it starts little in the first class and increases over time, is being taught the correct alignment and level of a pose or being given a modification that suits your level on that day and at that time in your life so that you're doing it to your own needs, what your body needs, what your nervous system needs, et cetera. Yeah. And a lot goes into that. And so over time, the teacher gets to know you. You get a real rapport. They get to know how your breath is. Do you need help remembering to breathe? So they can catch you if you continuously hold the breath, so they can help you to, to learn to breathe. And that in and of itself is a huge thing. Or you know, if your lower back hurts, to take a closer look at what you're doing so that you can, you know, do a cobra correctly or a backbend correctly. And, you know, and, and it's just very informative. I mean, you can learn a lot from that day-to-day -day rapport that you get in this kind of setting between a teacher and a student. And so you kind of start to know, you can read a lot from a person basically through their breath and through their body and stuff like that. So the Mysore style is teaching a very individual style based on what your what the teacher's presented with and then it modifies over time because your comfort zone both emotionally and in your body is going to change from when you start to a year later and so the poses are going to change and so it's the teacher's there to discern 
when it's time to change it, when you're ready to move on to the next level. Your body's changed, so one way of doing something is now too easy. So now let's go to to a different edge, et cetera. Yeah. And many times there's assistance in the room. So yeah. other teachers teaching, you know, if the class is um, big enough, then I have an assistant. Yeah. yeah. And everyone at the studio has been um, trained by me at this point, which has been really nice to go from, you know, I've had a, a long evolution as a studio <laughs> owner. <laughs> yeah. So. And so that that's kind of nice. And every the practice is also in silence for the most part. And so a lot of breathing. Yeah. So there's a ton of breathing at your own breath rate. There's what's called um, drishti, which is a Sanskrit word for eye gazes. So part of the theory behind that is if your mind wonders, your mind won- your if your eyes wonder, your mind wonders. So the drishti helps you to stay focused. It also helps a lot with balance and stilling the mind. So every pose has a drishti, and you start to learn that as well in my sort of style. You start to learn how to find and stand correctly and have correct alignment, which will invigorate what we call internal locks or bandhas in Sanskrit, which work with the breathing that we do so that the breath is kept uh, within the body system, and that's where the heat comes from as opposed to heating the room up to an artificial temperature and giving yourself an artificial sense of flexibility. It's an internal heat. It's much of an internal heat, completely, yeah. I mean, of course, it's New Orleans, so it's hot here. And yeah. We're gifted with with a lovely climate for, but for yoga. But the Ujjayi does create that Ujjayi internal, with the bandhas create the awesome. internal heat. Yeah. I, love, and then, I love that aspect. Yeah, it's a really pretty... Um, because it feels that your body is opening and, you know, the detox is really coming from inside out. Yeah. So that's kind of an amazing feeling. It's a really ingenious practice. I mean, the longer I do it, I'm just like blown away by how genius it is and you know, one pose sets you up for a pose that's later to come and they start to really interchange from one pose to another and you start to see how that works and the little life lessons you learn, you know, or the little yoga lessons you discover on the mat, you start to see as metaphorical for, for lessons out in the big world, you know. And so the role, what is the role of the lad class? In Ashtanga, there's one lad class a week. So what is the role of that lad class? So typically when you're doing Mysore style, you can start to kind of forget what the strict vinyasa is. For example, if you're learning a sun salutation, you inhale the arms up and you exhale into a forward fold. um, and, And it keeps going like that. But if you're working on something in particular, like a certain alignment thing or with your pelvis or whatever it is, or if you're a slower breather or or a more shallow breather, you can't always complete a pose on one breath. So we need to take extra breaths because you don't want to ever hold the breath or in the practice. So the lead class helps to remind you in a way like what you're working towards, as well as just letting go of the attachment to is, is my pelvis perfect? Are my legs perfect? Is my hips perfect? There's a lot of, of, of power in just moving and doing and not having to have that analytical mind mm-hmm. and really pushing it out the way in that regard. So, so going back to the stricter vinyasa and letting go of that attachment to all that other stuff. So reinforcing the vinyasa, which I don't think I mentioned, is the word that correlates the breathing with the moving synchronization. And then it helps to reinforce the eye gazes that we can start to forget and get lost in sometimes in Mysore style practice. Reminds you to engage the bandhas because we, we learn them through aligning correctly, but aligning correctly can be hard. And then we kind of just forget Whatever, you know, yeah. it's all about awareness and I practice. I wanted to, to bring that up because, you know, I just wanted 
to be clear of what the role of a lead class is in the Ashtanga system, because also most classes, yoga classes that people hear about yoga and go to yoga studios, there's so many yoga studios in many towns, are lead classes, right? So that's what most all lead classes. That's what most people, yeah, are used to. And so I just wanted to. Uh, sometimes people don't really quite understand, you know, what is the role of a lead class in the in the Ashtanga method, even because since it's a Mysore style, but there is that one class a week, such yeah. as a for all the reasons that you mentioned. Yeah, if you want and, just a kick ass workout, so to speak, yeah, come on in on Friday morning at eight forty five, <laughs> and you'll get it, and you'll get it. But if you want to really have a deepened experience and work towards that, because it's not going to happen in one day, and you really want to create a discipline and something that you have and no one can ever take from you, no matter what then come to the Mysore classes. And I think a lot of people are intimidated. I think they think they have to know something to start or that there's not going to be an instructor. And that's the farthest thing from the truth. I mean, you cannot begin if no one is not there to teach you how. So you don't need to know anything and all levels are possible. As long as you have an experienced teacher who can translate it into a level for you, then you're going to be fine. It's a beautiful method, especially when it's being taught correctly and, you know, true to the system. That is a very um, well thought and thorough system. And when anything gets in in, in the hands and on the hold of someone who doesn't know how to utilize it, then it gets a bad rap or has something that is not, you know, negative. But that could happen to anything. That's in any, I think, any profession, any well. walk of life, absolutely. Yeah. So what are your other influences besides, you know, all the India, Ashtanga, and Patabi Joys? I'd be curious to know some of your other big influences. Within Ashtanga specifically or no, in the broader the matrix? the broader matrix of yoga. Um Probably the work I've done with a wonderful pioneer in the chakra system named Anadea Judith. I've had her here to the studio, and I have been... I was on that workshop. Yes, you were. That's right. Loved it. She's awesome. And so I I go to work with her regularly, and I think that work has really helped deepen my practice in a lot of ways and my teaching, given me a vocabulary for a lot of ways I was already practicing and teaching, but I didn't necessarily have the vocabulary or even the deepened theoretical knowledge that I've gotten from it. And it's given me a real outline, if you will, for doing the harder internal work that I really believe in is necessary if we really want to to do what yoga is meant to do, which is to take us into a deeper state of, of mental clarity, basically. And what freedom. do you love so much about the chakras, if you had to concise? I think it, it's that it is an outline. So, you know, and Anadea has a PhD in clinical psychology, and I have a BA in psychology, and I'm an avid um, believer in, in therapy. Uh, of course, that assumes you have a good therapist, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is another conversation. <laughs> um, but I really believe that you have to put stored trauma and stuff like that back in the body. And so that's what the chakra work and the bioenergetic work that I've learned from her and that works with the chakras do. And so, and I use that, I use it a lot in my training so that I can help people understand, okay, how do we take what we call the primary series in Ashtanga yoga, for example, and how do we make a little tweak to some of the poses 
so that it could be for first chakra healing or second chakra healing or third chakra healing. And then that outline, having that theoretical understanding for what is what are the issues, the developmental stages, all the stuff around, say, a third chakra, for example, which is your will center, your fire center, the developmental age associated with that. And so there's a lot of theoretical understanding of using the chakras for healing. So... It's just a beautiful framework, and it goes really well with what I believe is kind of missing from the yoga system, I think, as most people are understanding it and interpreting it. And even, I think, as the sutras kind of explain it, I think it's missing the, I need to find a good word to put it all together, but, you know, Anadea calls it the rainbow bridge, you know, Mm -hmm. and for me that really works because you have to, you can't just go from, from, from the earth to the sky and so her rainbow bridge helps you to climb the stairs so to speak that get you from the earth to the to the sky and i love also when she also talks about from the sky to the earth because sometimes that's the manifesting current yeah it's awesome so and i'm glad you actually mentioned that that's a really good point i mean in in yoga, it's all about the liberating current. So from the ground to the, to, to the crown or from the ground to the heaven, so to speak, and into samadhi. But the manifesting current is what you have to do if you want to go up too. So it's how, and it's how do we provide for ourselves? How do we take care of ourselves? How do we give ourselves maybe the nurturing or the love that we maybe didn't get and needed? You know, how to, pay our student loans. I mean, it's just anything that we take from an idea and how do we take it down and put it into the body and make it, make it come to life. Yeah. And I feel, um, you know, when, when people start practicing yoga, when myself, anyone, we start practicing yoga, it's also easy to get too spiritual or too like kind of lightheaded or, you know, kind of more on your upper chakras per se. Mm -hmm. And if someone is not familiar with chakra work, I guess what I'm trying to say is uh, maybe like flighty, maybe not grounded, you know? And so it, it can be anything in life can be too much. You can also be too grounded and not have, you know, and and maybe need more of like the other, the opposite. But Mm -hmm. I love that, that the way she explains, and at least from my understanding of her books too, and the chakra system in general, is that you can play with those energies and you can then, with the beauty of yoga as well, find the balance, you Absolutely. know, and find kind of that, that it's, a, in, we're consistently playing with energies and we're consistently coming across new things in life. And, and every day I mean, life different. is happening, you know, yeah. so. Well, and the beauty too is like, I don't see the chakras, while they might be broken down into stages or chakras, they're completely integral to each yes. other. And so, in my opinion, are the limbs of yoga. So mm-hmm. there's this fluidity up and down, up and down. And then, you know, in terms of that manifesting and liberating current, you know, in yoga, people love to identify with that lotus flower. Mm-hmm. But that lotus flower is stuck in mud and has to get rooted into the mud for that beautiful flower to grow up, you know. I love that. Or like, you know, we have the beautiful oak trees or the cedars in Louisiana. Well, those beautiful big branches and knees came apart, you know, came into existence from going down first, you know. Mm-hmm. So I really like those metaphors of go yeah. down to go up. That is beautiful. I um, wish I could say I made that up. <laughs> <laughs> so going back to, because I want to kind of get a whole picture, we also talked the other day about some of the 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 ways that Meister style, some not Meister, sorry, that Ashtanga sometimes is being taught and, and it gets for example, a bed rep, or mm. I don't know if you want, if you would care, care to talk about that a little in terms of, 
I guess what I'm saying is if I just see a lead class here and there, mm-hmm. and then, you know, the, and that is a, is a misinterpretation, like a mis, uh, I, what I'm trying to say is like someone that doesn't know the whole picture could maybe not understand, you know, the whole practice. Because to me, the lead class in Ashtanga is it's it's not the entirety of it as we already oh, gosh, spoke, no, no, obviously. No. So My in some style studios, is the substance and the piece and parcel. Yeah, and so sometimes I I hear oh you know there's a lot of you know the injuries or that and and so I go to that it doesn't make me feel good. Well, and my my first question is what did you do? And for the most part, I'm mm-hmm. not going to say everybody, but but like for the most part, the answer I get is. I just jumped into this, you know, I just went to this lead class at this mm-hmm. place in whatever city, mm-hmm. in and out. And I'm like, well, that's not really how the practice is intended to mm-hmm. be taught, you know. So what do you feel about th- all that? I think for a real Ashtanga to be getting taught the way it's supposed to be taught, and in my mind what's true Ashtanga, you have to have a Mysore program. And a traditional Mysore pro- program is at least a six-day-a-week program. I will also say it is a huge labor of love because it is a crazy amount of work for the teacher and a lot of dedication. And in most cities and in most places, it's not financially very rewarding. <laughs> so there's a lot of other rewards you get for it, but that's not one of them. And so I think that's a good thing to look for if you're looking to do Ashtanga is that they have a Mysore program, not that they're just stuffed with lead classes because you might as well just go to a vinyasa class. That's the method. Well, vinyasas, as you know, flow, vinyasa, that stems from Ashtanga. Oh, Um, so, I mean, yeah, but I think that's really interesting. Like, you've told me that in the past, obviously, mm -hmm. and I I can clearly see it from my own experience. Mm -hmm. And yet, if I mention that to some of my students, it's a big, like, aha, like, Mm. they didn't even know, you know. And so, let's talk about that for a moment. Okay. That's, I think that's kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's just the background that I guess I, because I come out of the Mysore Stanga method that I that I know that. But yeah, that's that's basically that vinyasa. I mean, I think vinyasa nowadays, and correct me if I'm wrong, because you, I have a feeling might be more in touch with other classes out there than me, it seems to be more synonymous with like a very fluid, flowy class as opposed to a very strict movement to breath specific kind of count. But that's what it really was, was very specific. And so it's just kind of been taken to the nth degree in a way now in these classes that are called flow or vinyasa so that you get this like workout experience and there's a lot, a lot of movement and, you know, st- and stuff like that. Yeah, a lot of the, the postures that we practice in flow yoga, power yoga, including the sun salutations um, as a base are coming from the Ashtanga method. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, primarily, I think from the primary series and second series, some as well. The other and poses, you mean? The poses. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think that's kind of a big influence. The way that the sun salutation A's move, that yeah, a lot I mean, of there's bar- lots of different ways to do a sun salutation. Right. And I, I mean, know. and so, yeah, so we have some specific to Ashtanga, but that doesn't. No, there's make many different ways. Way of doing but if we go back, if we go back to Krishnamarchaya teaching Patabi Joy's, that was probably one of the first times that the vinyasa flow method was mm. taught in that form. Yes. And that's what I'm saying. And yeah, so the all these other things that have been born, yeah. such as flow yoga, power yoga, whatever it is yeah. that it is that is out there, has borrowed or had some kind of influence from the Ashtanga. Well, I think method. the vinyasa for sure, 
I think the primary series, and I agree, coupled with some of the second series, a lot of teachers are used kind of structuring their classes based on. loosely based yeah. on those those outlines, which you know is a smart way to go because right. kind of a lot of you know if, if you understand what the poses are doing, then it, it's easy to pull and pick them from this this beautiful work that's already been done for us in, in the series mm-hmm. of Ashtanga, and then. The other thing that's very specific to to my source style are the adjustments, which it does concern me that kind of adjustments as a thing of itself are just kind of being randomly offered or taught in a way in these workshop formats because adjustments are very, very specific to Ashtanga. I don't even know of them really much in other styles, except for now I'm starting to hear of, oh, such and such a studio is offering this workshop and adjustments, et cetera. And I mean, adjustments have to be done with a lot of care. Mm-hmm. You can over-adjust. You, can, you need to know when to adjust and how to adjust. So an, an, an adjustment is a manual. And we're, and we're talking about hands-on adjustments, yeah, an just adjustment, in case. The way I use it yeah. in, in Ashtanga in the traditional way is you use your hands, and they, they impart a couple different things. They can impart just giving you a deeper experience of the pose. They can impart alignment so that your hands are teaching the student's body, how to move. And the beauty of that is that you're not taken out of the breath and the focus of the breath and out of the mind set that the breath puts you into, mm-hmm. and which is a huge one in my opinion. And I guess those are the two main reasons. But if you don't know what you're doing, <laughs> you could definitely hurt somebody. So Generally I, I think speaking, you want to have takes, someone touch you that's got a yeah. tremendous amount of experience yeah. with that. Well, I mean, generally speaking, you know, it takes years of apprenticeship to be in a room with a senior teacher, to be following them and to be seeing. And, you know, some people I think are going to be more naturally good at doing adjustment or inclined or in some people are not. Like in anything, sure. But I know that I spend countless hours with teachers such as yourself learning how to do hands-on adjustments. And when I lived in Los Angeles, I used to um, also assist in Meister style classes, Dominic Corigliano, who you know very well, and other teachers. And so I guess what I'm trying to say, this is not something that, at least for me, came over a weekend workshop. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's something that it was really a lot of observation. I guess I have been lucky to have senior teachers that I could observe and that took the interest and time to teach me and to show me. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, part of it also is also my intuition with the with the student and connecting with the breath as I'm assisting and adjusting. But yeah, so I understand exactly what you're saying with when we see these one day, it's, I think we just have to be mindful just to know that, you know, it's something that, especially if you guys are listening that are yoga teachers, that it's just, you know, give yourself the time and just just take your time and just, you know, be patient because it will come eventually. But you do have to, there's going to be, um, you know, the time that you're going to put into towards learning. Something. Yeah, I mean, ideally, if you can overnight. apprentice it um, yeah. or have a an opportunity to get practice doing them, a venue. Like in my trainings, I go over all the adjustments for all the poses and then they have access. I guess that's the word I'm looking for, access while being very closely watched and monitored to my classes and to students so they can start to practice them and they practice them with each other. And then there's other apprentice opportunities that can follow both during and after the trainings. But we're all green at some point. You know, we all have to start somewhere. But I think um, the most important is to only 
only try to teach what you know and firsthand. Love that. And so a lot of that too comes from doing the practice, you know, because the longer you do it, the more you start to understand what's working in the body. And so an adjustment's just kind of going with the natural movement of how the body should work. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you you were hurt once years ago, I remember, because you're such a, a mm-hmm. loosey-goosey. Mm-hmm. So, you know, someone without a lot of experience to know that actually a lot of flexible people can hurt, get injured more easily because in a way they don't have the same boundaries right. of their body saying like, oh, it can't go any further, you know. Mm-hmm. And so you can easily just get flopped into something where it's like, no, you you know, that that's not... That's not always good just because, you know, the body can go there doesn't mean it it should go there. Absolutely. And that came, that knowledge came to me as more of a, a, when I started to become a more mature practitioner, that I then realized that just because I can do something doesn't mean I should. And that also to me, a lot of the the work was containing. So maybe backing off a little from a a posture, then going deeper into it, because that's where I actually found my center and build my strength. Yes. Which, you know, is something that came after years of practicing a certain way but at some point like you said in the beginning we all learn when we learn and I mean and it's not just in teaching I mean I was a very um, zealous practitioner when I started too I mean gosh my practice had 25 to now is like way different you know and and it's funny because that that way we have a practicing can be or or teaching at one time in our life can have a lot to do with how we maybe approach our life outside and off the mat too. Interesting. So it's, it's really funny how the two can really be intertwined. You know, how do you to like, feel about that? About the practice changing over time, and if we are lucky oh, that we're going to be a hundred and something, I how do you feel practi- about that? It should change over time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, our our bodies change. Certainly for women, you know, we have. We have babies. We have just your general aging process, which women don't have a <laughs> have a hold on. Men get that too. Um, women have menopause. We go through our you know our menstrual cycles. There's hormonal differences. You know joints. I mean, and there's a lot of people come with predispositions yeah. for stuff too. Bone density. Bone changes. density. Oh yeah, there's so much stuff. And yeah, yeah. And you and, don't I mean, feel God, attached. Feel like, do you? Are you really good at like being in the moment each day and just now, kind of letting I'd go? Say, I wouldn't say I'm perfect. <laughs> goodness, you know. But I think I'm a whole lot better at it than I used to be. Yeah. yeah. I don't try to kind of bully through a pose anymore. You know. I think I I probably did that some. When I was younger, you know, that is grace. Or to me. I had more, yeah. Or I had, you know, I just had more attachment to the physical practice. Yeah, um, I did too. I had, um, you know, I had that moment as I would assume most teachers will, where you're going to get, you might get passed up, if you will, in the sequencing of the poses. So you might, you might have a, a student that moves past you, and yeah. it's like, oh, you know, like I don't have it so much these days, but like when I lived in New York. And I was teaching and practicing. I remember someone I used to teach yeah. was now kind of like, you know, getting postures that I wasn't getting yet, you know. And so there's that, oh, that yeah, little people ego can check. Get you know? an ego check or feel anxiety about that. I yeah, mean, all of the all of the above. So many, things. which is so so silly. And but at the same time, we're all humans. So. Absolutely, and I think it's healthy, and it's what you do with it. You know, when you yeah. start, when you see it, what what do you what do you do with it? You know. Yeah. So one of the things about the difference with all the other flow yogas and ashtanga is that ashtanga is a system, and mm-hmm. a lot of the other forms that we mentioned in the terms of the vinyasa are not a system. 
system, we're not systems. We borrow from different systems, including mm. Iyengar, you mm. know, but mm-hmm. Ashtanga is a system. Iyengar yeah, is a system. given us a lot. Bikram is a system. Mm-hmm. There's when it's like, this is what you do and this is the method. And so I think that that's what you were mentioning about all the kind of flowing and just the breath. It's a lot of them are not systems, but borrowing from different it's systems. Interesting. I mean, is, I definitely think that Ashtanga is a system. I don't yeah. know. I've never really considered actually what comprises an actual system. So yeah. I don't know if I th- if if I think that about the others or not. Um, yeah, but I, I like that's that. kind of how I. See I'm going to start thinking about that. Yeah, I, I, like I had that, that conversation idea. one time with Sean Korn, mm-hmm. and we kind of thought about it that way. And I was like, oh, that makes kind of sense. Mm-hmm. You know, so what's going on with you now? Like how, let's talk about how you, you were saying that the yoga coming full circle, even if you're doing all these classes and you get into the sutras and you're really kind of committed and you, I love the Patabi Joyce quote, practice and all is coming, you know, so you're there, you're doing the work and maybe it's been a few years that you're in it. Mm -hmm. Now what? Is it enough? For you mean for anybody who's well, you just said out you were going to say like the next level of evolution, like oh. when you kind of have to go a little, you know, there's other layers. You know, it's kind of something we have to each answer for ourselves. I think mm-hmm. you know that's been my path is to want to try to get as close to my full potential as I can emotionally, you know, um, psychologically. But you encourage that to your students as well. I very much well. do. But only we can truly know when we're kind of evading ourselves, you know. And if you have a teacher that's around you a lot, they might be able to kind of detect that and maybe help you to see it too. But ultimately we have to know in ourselves, I think, if we're really confronting something that we need to confront or if we're kind of avoiding it. And that can be a slippery slope because the mind is really good at avoiding things, as mm-hmm. is the body, you know. I think it's just if you're kind of hearing this conversation and it rings true for you and you're a little curious, then it might make you think, oh, let me try Mysore style and see what happens. Or, And you are a big I mean, um, I'm, I believe, advocate for therapy. I was just going to say, so. yeah. I mean, I really, you know, some people who listen to this might not, might not be, but I think you really need that objective party to take you out of the prism of your own mind. Otherwise, you're always seeing everything from the same vantage point. You can't get out of your own way. So you need someone else to help to do that for you. And then someone to kind of bounce things off of, to practice or role play perhaps new ways of doing things so you can establish new patterns, healthier patterns. It could be role playing, for example, if you are constantly triggered by your mother or your father or your brother or friends or whatever because such and such happens and it makes you act in such a way. Well, starting to understand, like, well, what is the trigger in that given situation and why are you getting triggered? Where did it come from? Where did it start? So you can understand the trigger and then you can start to see it when it's happening so that your behavior starts to change and you aren't reacting to it, but you can observe it and see it differently and start to create new patterns for yourself. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, 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 and you can you, do some of that for yourself. Yeah. But to the extent that I'm talking about, I you got to get out of your way. And yeah. You can't get out of your way if you're Well, if you do that, you find a lot more clarity in your own self and heart. However, what you're saying to me seems like it requires a lot of courage. I wouldn't have <laughs> it any other way, but I do yeah. think so. I yeah. do. And, and, and 
forming a really solid support system in the process. I mean, I'm 49, and I don't think I really had that kind of support system um, in place for myself until the last, I'd say, five years, you know? I love hearing that now you say you have this support group. Can you Well, I mean, it's just, that? you know, life isn't always straight uphill. You know, sometimes we stagnate. Sometimes we get lost. Sometimes we don't have the people to help us, the right therapist or a therapist or, you know, whatever. And so I guess I'm just trying to share that, it, you know, it's a process to, to heal, to be our fullest and best we can be all of that, you know, and it's a process and don't give up because, and don't think it's not hard work. There'll be hard days. There'll be less hard days. There'll be moments of clarity and there'll be moments of darkness, but to just remember that it's a continuum. And it took me a lot, a long time and a lot of work to get to where I am today, which is, you know, I feel, I feel quite content. Again, I still have my more difficult days. It's not like life is always rosy completely, but I'd say I've, I'm at a place of, of, of feeling quite content and, and grounded and with a really strong support group of friends that I really know care about me or, and invested in doing similar kind of work and, mm-hmm. and give me what's important for me based on my, my, my kind of background. So if someone wakes up and is not quite there, feeling kind of you know gloomy, is there any tools that you can... Feeling what? Like feeling kind of it's a gloom, gloom mm. day or a dark cloud around you. You know, I mean, we all have those days. I'm Absolutely. not saying something crazy. I'm saying yeah. just days that what could be tools that maybe you could share that could perhaps, in, from your perspective, <laughs> lighten up your day a little more. Honestly, and I don't know if, you're, if your listeners are going to like this answer, but <laughs> get on your mat. Like for me, my Ashtanga practice is my container. It is my foundation. And so if I'm having a yucky day and I then on top of it don't do my yoga, I can pretty much guarantee myself that I'm going to continue to have a yucky day or might be super hard to get out of it. But if I get on my mat and just force myself to just start my practice, I always, always feel better. better. Even if it doesn't end up being like the full practice, just the fact that just say like, you know, it's like sitting in meditation. Like you're sitting there, your mind is going, you start thinking, oh, this is bad. I might as well quit because my mind won't stop. No, whatever you set your time or two, just stay there. Just let it be whatever it's going to be. So if it's 15 minutes, you decide you're going to sit on your butt and focus on your breath and meditate, just do not get up no matter how good or bad you think it is. And it's the same with doing the yoga. So maybe you do five or 10 sun salutations and that's it. You were still going to feel, you know, a ton better when you stop than if you did I love that you're saying that. And so, yeah, I mean, it's hard sometimes to pick ourselves up. Oh, yeah. It's discipline, but... We all need it, kids and adults alike. Do you, are you one of those people that have one spot in your house that you could, pra- if you were home, like, do you always practice in one spot or is it just like Pretty much. Wherever? I mean, I'm really lucky now to have this studio. It's like my home away from home yeah. and my house is not very conducive right now to an ideal spot. But when I do practice it, honestly, I have a place outside that I like to go under a screened in porch, you know, or under some trees because my house is very open. Mm-hmm. And so it just, it never... It just never feels quite right. If you were to say one of the biggest gifts that you have received from yoga in general, what would that be? I think what comes up is um, 
like that I can take care of myself with it. It's a constant lifeline. That makes total sense. You know? I agree. Couldn't agree more. Nowadays, there's so many different yoga studios. The practice has changed so much. There's so many people studio hopping. I feel, I mean, maybe it's different for you because you have a Mysore-based uh, primarily studio and I love that I love the concept when I first got into yoga I love the concept that I had to pay for a monthly membership and you know and that there was this um this thing that you were you know you were coming and you were in, in the consistent and, you know mm-hmm. and now I feel like somewhat that has gotten diluted and has lost some some of that and as a studio owner myself Especially, I don't have a Meister style program at my studio. It's just kind of drop-ins. We have single drop-ins, five class packs, student specials. And sometimes to me, it feels, and I know I share this um, same thought with other studio owner friends, and um, including the teachers that I work with at my studio, that there's a lot of inconsistency from the studio, the students, and mm-hmm. the students are studio hopping, and many times for the next best deal yeah. you know financial deal yeah which again that would probably be a whole nother podcast but I have a whole a whole issue with it because uh, a teacher one of my teachers at my studio said to me the other day you know when I teach yoga Natalie I, ne- I need to feel there's an energetic exchange and you know money can also be energy and so that's uh, that's an energetic ex- exchange but when you feel I guess as a yoga teacher that maybe they're not coming for you or for your space that you so much, a lot of us, it's sacred to us. You know, we put so much into it, but that they're just going for that next, you know, best deal with the dollar sign. It, it doesn't feel very good, you know, but also I guess my question to you is not so much from a, a studio owner, because I can, I, I know already how I feel and a lot of people know how they feel, but for you in terms of like the students what do you feel that a student loses in the process of not having a teacher and just hopping from studio to studio? I think they're selling themselves short. You yeah. know, I think, I think maybe there's a little avoidance there, but maybe not knowing it. Because if you've never really committed to a style and a teacher, you might not know what you're missing out on. You know, and the sad part is a lot of people don't even realize that that's actually part of the yoga tradition. Yeah. That they don't know that. They just think yoga is yoga. You just go to whatever teacher. Yeah. A lot of our conversation today in this podcast has have evolved around uh, the growth, the deepening the process, the student-teacher connection and relationship, the mm-hmm. apprenticeships. Mm-hmm. This is something that gets lost in that world of hopping. It know, does. Hopping. And I just kind of hope that, you know, if people do come here, they'll they'll still learn, they'll intuit, they'll see that there's a huge investment and commitment that you get from the teachers here. We're a very small group of us, so we're pretty tight together. There's a lot of communication between us about students, so in case for some reason someone's coming to a night class and a morning class where there's typically two different teachers, there's at least consistency over what that student is getting and needs, but hopefully they they get it, you know, and and then they keep coming back because it feels, you know, like the the proof is in the pudding, you know, it's they're going to feel it, yeah, and they're going to realize, oh, it's it's quality, it's not quantity, or it's you know, it's worth it, yeah, it's and worth the commitment to myself it, yeah. and to the trust I give to the teacher. It's a yeah. two way street, yeah. It's- you know, when I see people that are just studio hopping, I don't really feel that you have a teacher. 
if you are in that situation. And it's so important in the yoga process of deepening your practice, of deepening your soul, you know, really kind of finding who you are and all the changes and at each and every moment, the growth, that you have someone that's with you in that process. Mm -hmm. Not to say that your teacher can't change through that life or maybe you have more than one teacher, that's totally fine. But if nobody is actually looking at you and assisting you in this deepening your practice process, then it becomes, there's there's this really... Um, sense of integrity and healing that becomes lost. And even a teacher who's consistently there with you can see if you're stagnating and help yeah. you. Usually if you're stagnating in your practice, you're stagnating in your life too. Yeah. They they often can go hand in hand. So what anyway. I would say to some to that then is that you're cutting yourself short if you're not I you agree. Know, putting I some agree. energy into at least whatever it is that you decide. I'm saying this for people that are listening try to just stick with that process of that studio, that teacher, whatever it is you do for, give it some time and see what that, you know, and just try something different. And um, mm -hmm. it's just a different way that we, I guess it's, I'm, I'm, I'm emphasizing on it because it's been, it's an art that's being lost. And I really hope, I know that through my studio, and I know you do that too, through your studio, that's something that I really cherish, you know, the student-teacher relationship and the community. Well, I think, too, it's more than like some like an art. or I think it's, I mean, it, it is the heart of, of yoga. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's it's how it's supposed to be. It's not meant to just be a, a class, a, a feel-good experience. Mm -hmm. we're, we're working towards something, you know, more than that, further beyond. Yeah, bigger. Yeah, and yeah. Yeah, I love what you said that something to look at that every, you know, the yoga that you're on the mat is reflecting the yoga off the mat as well. So if you're like that and you're not wanting to go deeper with something like yoga, then what does that say about other areas in your life as well? Yeah. That's another can. big thing to look at. Yeah. Yeah. Is this, <laughs> is that status quo good enough for you? And maybe it is and that's okay too. Yes. Yes, you maybe know? it is because everybody's on their own journey. And as a teacher, you know, sometimes you just have to hold that space for somebody, you know? And trust the yoga. Always trust the yoga. I love that. Yeah, <laughs> I do anyway. Well, it's we working can, for me. We can begin to close with that. But I wanted to let you know that I've recently acquired a new member to my family. Her name is Chloe. And bird? she is a beautiful cockatiel. Yeah. <laughs> and she is inspired. Her coming has been inspired by your cockatiel. <laughs> well, I have a conure. The okay, conure. You have yeah. a different one. So you're a bird. But just a bird oh is a bird. Oh, my God. Yeah. What's your bird's name? Gaddy. He's named after a boxer, Arturo Gaddy. <laughs> so <laughs> my husband <laughs> likes that boxer. And that bird was meant to be his bird. But that bird always, is my bird. I've always loved your bird. He's and I love when I go trip. to your house for dinner that, he, is it a he? Uh, yeah, or is it a as she? far as we know, because there's <laughs> never been any eggs. <laughs> well, he or she comes out and plays and goes yeah. on your shoulder, and it's so friendly. And yeah. then my other friend has a cocktail, and she she's amazing. And so The cocktails, are they ones, the ones with those important. cute like cheeks? Yes. Yeah, so yes. cute. So yeah. for years, I just loved uh, hanging out with 
y'all That's bird. So funny. And now yeah. I have a bird. Yeah, and she's it's really fun. cool. It's a we lot should of get, work. We should yeah. get our birds together. We should to get play. our birds together. We'll go take our birds <laughs> and our dogs for a walk. Yeah, absolutely. So okay, so what's happening at the Ashtanga Yoga Room? Let's close with some offerings, maybe that you have or anything you'd like to share that's going on. Teacher training. Well, my classes. next training immersion, call it what you will, is going to actually start really soon. It starts, I think, September 29th, and it'll go through February. And if you're interested, you could contact me at Melanie at, at AshtangaYogaRoom.com or What's go to the, the website? website. It's AshtangaYogaRoom.com. And all the details are there, but my number's on the website. You can call me directly, email me, whatever you want. And if you can't do that one and you're interested, then you know we can get you on the next one because I tend to do them annually. And what else do we have? I'll include that on the show notes. Um, I'm not good enough in my business affairs to be able to tell you my Instagram or Facebook, but that's on the website too. I can too. look it up. Well, <laughs> you tell them about your DVD, please. Oh, I have a DVD that tries to simulate the Mysore style experience. So it's two DVDs in the uh, packaging and one through, I think it's 26 or 28 sessions, simulates the Mysore style experience. And then the other DVD takes you through it in a lead class format. And then beyond that, we have classes uh, that start as early as 6.30 in the morning. And we teach until 10 a.m., which is a window of time, which um, you can call if you don't understand, but the website has a lot of information. And then we have evening classes as well. And we have showers, so if you need to shower and go, you can. You have an infrared sauna. Oh, right. We have a full spectrum infrared sauna yeah it's pretty awesome wish i get to use it as much as <laughs> I, I so would you're like to. um melanie's uh the the ashtanga yoga room instagram is ashtanga yoga room oh that's, that's easy i can remember that <laughs> uh so Thank what are you. you excited about now Anything in your, that you're excited about? I'm going in your to life? the beach this week, and I'm really excited Ooh, about that. That is exciting. Uh, I'm looking forward to the training. I'm yeah. very much excited about that. They're always, I don't know, they're always a little different. I always try different things. Get to take some parts deeper than other parts. Uh, just depends on the students and how the time flows. And I'm not going to talk about what it's about, but I'm working on a book. Very very early stages. You know, other than that, it's just full. You know, I've got a young son, keeps me on my toes. Homework is getting intense. <laughs> a lot of animals to take care of. So. Yeah, same here yeah. with an- lots of animals as well. But um, are you excited about this podcast? <laughs> I'm so, this has been so much okay, fun. Cool. I mean, Natalie, you're awesome. doing amazing. You're well, so good at you this. Know, thank you so much for, again, to, for She's being like my with baby us. sister. I've known her forever. <laughs> yes, and that's what I was going to say. I'm so appreciative of our relationship. I'm, I love it that you have this beautiful presence in my life. You know, and I feel very blessed to have had you as a an older sister. And I feel blessed to have you. I mean, watching you grow and evolve. <laughs> and you too. You're doing, I mean, we're all, and it's amazing. Yeah. So thank you. And we thank are you. sitting right now at the Ashtanga Yoga Room. So, and this is a gorgeous place as well. So I invite everyone to come by and check it out and check Melanie out and all of her gifts to the world. Thank you. Thank you, Melanie. Thanks, Thanks everyone. Bye, have, guys. Bye. Hey, guys. Thank you for listening. That was an amazing conversation, right? Wow. Yeah. So again, if you feel inspired by the conversation or you're inspired by maybe you'll get on your mat, maybe you'll join a yoga teacher training, maybe you will just, um, I don't know, do something really awesome today. 
So again, thank you so much for joining me, for joining the Life on Earth podcast community. As a reminder, we do have a Facebook group page that you can send a request. I usually try to place events or classes or anything that's going on, retreats, right? And I'm going to soon be offering day retreats and two-day retreats or three-day retreats. Those are private retreats. More on that soon. Um, We'll include the link for the Facebook group page that you can join and be on the loop. I also have a store on my website which has some audios that I have recorded for you that you can purchase in such as Yoga Nidra and uh, flow yoga classes, meditations and so on. And subscribe to the show, share this episode with someone who you think might benefit, continue to spread the love and continue to be you. We need you. Everyone else is taken. Please be you. And uh, reach out if you have any um, suggestions for the show or guests that you think that would be a, a wonderful conversation. I am so open to ideas. I love to connect with everyone. So definitely reach out and have an amazing day. Bye. Bye.